What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to the program. It is Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. As always, you can listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. You can follow our social pages on Twitter and on Facebook for the latest updates. Great to be back with you folks today. Uh, Happy Halloween to everyone. It is about 10 a.m. on uh, the 31st of October that we're recording, so uh, hopefully everyone has a happy and uh, safe Halloween tonight if you're doing any things, if you're dressing up, if you're, you know, eating candy, you know, all those sorts of things. Um, But glad to be back with you folks this week. Going to be an interesting uh, week for us. Got, uh, obviously, a new episode today. Got a uh, Bruins-themed guest Friday coming up this week. So really looking forward to getting that to you guys on Fridays. The Bruins are continuing to play some great hockey. So um, obviously we'll cover that later today. uh, But obviously looking forward to Guest Friday later this week. So without further ado, let's get right into it. Uh, Patriots is where we're going to start today. Is usually where we start most of our episodes. Obviously last week we uh, did a preview of the Patriots-Bears game. So... Since that point, Patriots have played two games. Um, You know, clearly, I think a lot of us would like to forget that game a week ago tonight um, as the Patriots were uh, just completely outplayed and blown out by the Chicago Bears, uh, 33-14. Pretty ugly loss in this game. You know, I think that it was a game that the Patriots, I don't think, were prepared for, you know, which is a little shocking. I mean, considering... This is a team that I think for so long has always been known as the team that is, you know, over-prepared, that they're prepared for anything. And I just think that, I don't think the Patriots were prepared for this game. And, you know, clearly there were some coaching decisions that I didn't really think made sense. You know, I think with the whole playing Mac Jones and then pulling him after an interception, you know, sure, Bakley Sappy came in and, you know, got the crowd going with some touchdowns, but it was kind of a moot point. The Patriots could not stop Justin Herbert and the Bears' ground attack. Excuse me, jeez. Justin Fields, Khalil Herbert, and the uh, Bears' ground game. The Patriots gave up 243 yards rushing in this game, and, you know, clearly one of the worst losses that I think we've seen in quite a while. And, you know, Monday night at home, Great chance to get over 500, and the Patriots just kind of came out with no energy in this game, and um, it was kind of concerning, and I think, you know, unfortunately, with the coaching decision to pull back Jones, um, you know, and kind of reward the crowd for, you know, booing Mac Jones, cheering Bailey Zappi, it kind of unfortunately played more into the QB controversy uh, last week, and You know, I think it did lead to part of the reason why the Patriots didn't win that game. You know, that the Patriots really had this decision that they were going to play both guys, which I don't really think made any sense. Um, But at the same time, I don't think that decision really was going to affect whether the Patriots were going to win or lose. You know, you look at how poorly they played defensively. You know, I don't think that they were going to beat the Bears, even if they started you know, Zappy for that game, or Jones, you know, I feel like maybe the Patriots could have just played Zappy again, and just went with it and just said, okay, you know, we're going give to him, give him one more game, we'll get Mac to return against the Jets, more important game for us, so, you know, the decision was made, Patriots lose the game, and, you know, I think that, honestly, after that game, it, I kind of believe it or not, I think made it more clear the QB controversy that clearly there's no more of that anymore. You know, I think that Mac, if he came back last week, maybe he wasn't 100%. You know, coming back into coming back into the team, playing against a decent defense after not playing for a few weeks, you know, I think that clearly there was some rust. And I think just kind of the return to normalcy this week was nice. You know, I think that kind of getting back to 
the one guy that clearly is going to be your guy for the rest of the season, you know, I think just was nice to not have to worry about all this, you know, media BS that's trying to push Mac Jones out the door, which is kind of what I think, what I think was going on and still is going on. Um, did Mac Jones play his absolute best yesterday against the Jets? No, not really. You know, I think that the Patriots did get a huge break on, you know, the pick six that got called back because of a roughing the passer penalty, which, you know, was a penalty. You know, I think that that kind of wasn't really the issue, but I think that, you know, if you look at that pass, it was, you know, pretty ugly. And I think that, you know, reading more into it, it seemed like it was a miscommunication that Mac Jones threw the football where he thought Jacoby Myers would be, and clearly there was a Jets defender right there. So, you know, Patriots get a break. They were able to, you know, grind this game out. I think that they did about the best that they could offensively with, you know, how strong the Jets' defensive front is. Um, You know, obviously you had the interception, but I think for me, I saw some kind of small improvements. Um, But I think, you know, this is a game where I think going up against a pretty borderline elite defense, I think the Patriots did about as good as they as best they could. Um, you know, clearly, I think in the second half with all those, you know, short drives that, you know, thankfully Nick Folk was able to hit some field goals. I think that they persevered. They got through. It wasn't pretty. You know, it was more ugly than pretty. But it's like, I think when the Patriots are going against elite defenses like that, they're going to have to win that way. You know, I think that still, and I've said this, plenty of times on this podcast till I'm probably green in the face, but this is not the Tom Brady Patriots. This is not the 30 points a game juggernaut offense that could cover up every single flaw on your roster. That's not the offense that they have right now, you know, and you can say everything you want about, oh, well, if they have some playmakers, blah, 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 whatever you want to say, but it's just like, it is what it is. This is not the offense that is going to score a touchdown every time they touch the ball. You know, it's going to be a little more challenging. Now, is Mac Jones playing as well as he was last season? No, obviously not. I think that there are some things that are still a bit problematic, but I think when you're playing against a team like the Jets that has a very good defense, you know, you're only going to be able to do certain things. You know, losing Devontae Parker after, you know, first play, first play from scrimmage, you know, didn't help. The Patriots really didn't seem to spread the ball around as much as you would like, but I think against an elite defense, you know, it's going to be what it's going to be. You know, I thought Ramondre Stevenson was great in this game, catching passes out of the backfield. Jacoby Myers, you know, Mr. Reliable, and I think... Looking at that game yesterday, I think when you're going against a very good defense, making things simpler for Mac Jones works. You know, making quick throws where he doesn't really have to think about the... It doesn't have a lot of time to... Or can just make quick decisions. I think you noticed a lot yesterday when, you know, he takes the snap, drops back, and is back there for three or more seconds... You know, that's where things get difficult. And I think, you know, it's not it's not a great sign that he's kind of running out of the pocket after a few seconds because I think you would like for a quarterback to be able to kind of look over his options and be able to make a good decision. And, you know, maybe there's some confidence issues going on. Um, I don't think it has anything to do with the Bailey Sappy thing. I think that that's completely beside the point. Um, but I think that... You know, hey, oftentimes with young quarterbacks, seasons like this happen. You know, you can have a good rookie season and you can hit the wall in your second year. And I think that to me is kind of what's happening here, that, you know, some of the bad decisions are coming. Um, I don't really think it's a product of the coaching necessarily, because I think if you look at, you know, some replays, especially if you look at the replay from 
yesterday's game. The Patriots, you know, went for it late in the first half. It was fourth and one. Mac Jones has an open Hunter Henry in the flat, and he doesn't throw the ball to him. And it just is like, okay, clearly I think he is making things more difficult than they need to be. And I think, look, if you look at that replay, the play is drawn up to get Hunter Henry the football, and it would have been a clear first down. And I think for some reason this year, Mac Jones is maybe just in his own head and making a lot of mistakes and... You know, perhaps the offense, the offensive coaching does need to bear some blame because it seems like there are a lot of plays where Mac was, you know, throwing the ball up and kind of throwing it up like prayer, prayer balls. You know, if you saw that interception that he threw against the Ravens in the, I think it was in the end zone, where he was expecting Devontae Parker to, you know, do a fade in the back of the end zone. And he was nowhere to be found. Marlon Humphrey intercepts it. And I think, to me, I think that that tells me that Mac is just being a little too careless with the football. And, you know, I think the interception yesterday, not really his fault. That was more a product of the offensive line where, you know, they had a really hard time protecting Mac against that Jets defensive front that I think is one of the best in the league. So I think... They persevered. They grinded it out. And that's the way that they're going to have to win games. And I think we're all going to have to get used to it. I think it's easy for us to think, you know, oh, four years ago, you know, tough defenses were nothing. We had Tom Brady. But it's like, you know, not every quarterback is Tom Brady. And I think people have to be more comfortable with winning differently, not winning with style points. You know, we're not going to, like, we're way past that. I think at this point, if you've noticed, watching this team the last two plus years, um, that it's just they're going to have to win in different ways. Um, And I think yesterday it's okay to feel good about getting a win, even if the offense didn't exactly play the absolute best that they could. But I thought they played a decent game. You know, Stevenson was excellent in this game. You know, Myers was good, but they really didn't get anyone else involved offensively. But Sometimes that's what happens when you play good defenses. Um, The Patriots' defense, I think, definitely took advantage of the Jets and Zach Wilson and a couple of just horrid decisions. Um, So that was huge. You know, I think that the Patriots' defense is still good enough that they can take advantage of big mistakes. You know, unfortunately, they couldn't really do anything to stop Justin Fields last week, but... I think the pressure that they were getting on Zach Wilson, you know, really, I think, led to a couple of interceptions. I think that, you know, one of them was just one of the worst interceptions I've ever seen. And, you know, honestly reminded me of Josh Allen early in his career, where he would kind of make similar type of mistakes. Not saying that Zach Wilson's going to be Josh Allen, but it kind of reminded me a little bit of him that, okay, here's a quarterback that is athletic, has a lot of physical traits, but hasn't quite put it together yet. And I think clearly the Patriots were able to take advantage and, you know, kind of put the game away with a couple of interceptions, you know, only got, I think, two sacks in this game. But I thought that the defensive line did a good job kind of getting in Wilson's face, you know, getting some of those plays for negative yardage. Um, I thought that they held their own. And I think that it was important to get a nice lift after they really struggled against the Bears. So, obviously, I think you look at how these two last two games have gone. I think you would have liked to win both of these games. But I think sitting at 4-4 and with the Patriots record, it's, you know, I think kind of along what you would expect, I think, eight games into the season. Sure, could they be 5-3? and three? I think that that's possible. But I think with the win yesterday, it's, you know, you can still feel good about this team and their chances of potentially making the playoffs. Um, I think if they had lost yesterday, you would have put yourself in a really tough position. But, hey, it was a good win. I think it's a, it's a somewhat quality opponent based on the record. You know, I don't really want people to say, oh, well, the Jets are bad. Well, you know, they were 5-2, and two, and the Jets were treating this game like 
you know, an exercise, exercising of demons type game. Um, and I think it's a good win. It was a good win on the road against a rival team, a team that I think has been, you know, gunning for you the last couple of years. Um, but the Patriots got a good win. And, you know, I think that that can be the positive story of the game, that you got to win. You didn't play your best, but you got to win. And I think, you know, going into these next two games, I know that they have a bye between the Colts and the Jets game as the Jets come into Gillette in a couple of weeks. I think that it's a really important two-game stretch that, you know, the Patriots could put themselves in good position if they can win these next two because, you know, they go into probably one of the toughest seven-game stretches that I've ever seen to close out a season. So it would be nice to see this team at 6-4 and four after 10 games going into that, you know, ridiculous gauntlet of a schedule that they have in the last couple months of the season. Um, so, you know, one of the not-so-good things yesterday, uh, the Patriots missing a couple of key players. Uh, David Andrews, obviously, was in the concussion protocol uh, did not play in yesterday's game. Ted Karras uh, was the center in this game. Patriots line, I think probably for the first time all season, they really just did not play a good game. Um, and I actually don't think they played well yes last week either. So, you know, I think it's going to happen. You know, going up against a couple of defensive fronts that I think are honestly pretty underrated. You look at the Bears, you look at the Jets. You know, I'm curious to see how they do against the Colts. You know, I'll talk about them in a moment. Um, but obviously, not having David Andrews was was big. Uh, Christian Barmore also did not play yesterday. Kyle Duggar was also ruled out. I think the Patriots need those two guys back defensively uh, sooner rather than later. And then, you know, obviously, Devontae Parker left the game after the first offensive play after he kind of twisted his knee up. So... The hope is those guys can return soon. Um, you know, I think with Parker out of the game, it kind of took away the Patriots' big play receiver, and they really couldn't get anyone else involved yesterday other than Myers. I don't think that it's a product of, you know, guys not getting opportunities. I think just you look at the Jets' defense and you look at some of the playmakers that they have in different areas – they were kind of able to take away some of the Patriots, you know, other weapons. And I think clearly when they're at full health, they can be more dynamic on offense. But I think, you know, losing Parker is difficult. And unfortunately, he's a guy with an injury history. So hopefully the Patriots can get him back soon. Um, as far as the Colts, you know, they're a team that kind of similar to the Patriots, you know, have a defense that has some players and some guys that are really, really good have an offense that have kind of struggled with turnovers this year. Uh, Matt Ryan was the starting quarterback through the first six games of the season, and then he was replaced. Sam Ellinger is now the starter. Uh, Matt Ryan, you know, statistically, you look at the yards per game that he has averaged this season, and it's in the 280s, you know, 280 yards per game. Now, that's pretty good for an average, but the issue with him this year, nine interceptions, uh, lost a good amount of fumbles. Um, so this Colts team kind of in not, not a great space offensively with the backup quarterback basically taking Matt Ryan's job. Um, and so, you know, this is a team that struggles offensively. And I think uh, you look at Jonathan Taylor, he's not really had a good season this year. You know, 160 yards in the first game of the season has 300 yards in all in the, in the other um, six games, I should say. Um, so I'm sorry, Matt Ryan started the first seven games and then, or no, no, I was right. Matt Ryan started the first six games. Ellinger played his first game last week. Colts have a bye this week. I think that's where I'm getting tripped up. So Taylor had 162 yards in the first game and then has only had 300 yards since. So he's not really had as good of a season as he had last season, has had some issues with fumbles. 
Um, but this is a team that, you know, you look at Michael Pittman, he's a good receiver. Um, so the Patriots will have their hands full with him. Um, Alec Pierce was also drafted in the second round by the Colts. I think he's had a decent season. So, you know, there's some big players, but I think that this is an offense that the Patriots should be able to take advantage of. Um, you know, Sam Ellinger is not a guy that's had a lot of experience in the NFL. I believe that his start last week was his, the first start of his career. So, you know, we know how Bill Belichick can do against young rookie quarterbacks. So on the Patriots defensive side, I think that they could have a very good game. The Colts, though, do have some good players on defense. And, you know, this reminds me a little bit of the Bears game that, they didn't really have a lot offensively that scared you, but then, you know, you didn't, you didn't play well enough. You know, their defense has some players, you know, Kenny Moore, Stephon Gilmore, an old friend. Both of those guys are in the secondary, and they're very good. Um, you know, DeForest Buckner on the defensive line has been a problem for the Patriots in the past. So I think it's another big test for their offensive line, and I think, you know, this is a defense that's going to take advantage of mistakes. So I think the Patriots have to be smart about this game. And I think not trying too much stuff down the field. Um, you know, I think that trying short passes, kind of what you did yesterday. And I think the Patriots, for the most part, were pretty successful with that. Um, I think that the Patriots want to get Mac Jones back into a rhythm. And I think that there was some urgency going into this week that you could hear um, things from different people. And um, I think just getting Mac back into the swing of things could be huge for this team. And this is a home game. And this is a game that I think the Patriots kind of need to have, you know, another game against an AFC opponent. And, you know, they have the Jets coming in in two weeks. So, or, or three weeks, I should say. So, you know, it's... It's a game that I think the Patriots should be able to win because I don't think the Colts are really a scary team offensively. You know, I think the Patriots can take advantage of them, but, you know, they can't turn the ball over. You know, they can't be an offense that gives the ball away at the rate that they've been giving the ball away. You know, they were a plus two in turnovers yesterday, which is which is good, but, you know, the, the Patriots need to get through a game where Mac Jones does not throw an interception. And I think trying to be, be, be a team that can establish the run and take care of the football. Because I think while the Patriots offense is not an explosive one necessarily, the way that you can combat that is not turning the ball over, which unfortunately they've not been able to do. But I think that there's still time that they can kind of work things out and be able to feel comfortable getting into an offensive rhythm um, before they have, you know, that crazy gauntlet of games. I kind of can't believe how tough that, that how tough it's going to be. But, you know, hey, the schedule is the schedule, and I think that it's going to be what it's going to be. But I think it's okay to feel good about that win yesterday. I know that not everyone played their best, but I think, you know, grind it out winning ugly. You know, that's, that is kind of what they're going to have to do, whether, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, I guess. So I think we're going to move on to the Bruins. Um, and things are, things are looking really good for the Bruins. Uh, really uh, kind of surprising last week, there was, you know, reports that Brad Marchand was back at practice and, you know, made us think, okay, you know, maybe he comes back in a few weeks and, you know, lo and behold, he shocks everyone and is available for the Bruins game against the Red Wings last week. And he records three points as he does. So, you know, I think having him back has been a huge lift. Not that the team really needed it. You know, the Bruins had a couple of wins sandwiched between that 5-1 win over the Red Wings last Thursday. Bruins with a 3-1 win over Dallas last week on a Tuesday night good defensive game, and then the Bruins wipe out the uh, Blue Jackets Friday night with a 4-0 win. So Bruins played a back-to-back -back last week and outscored the Red Wings and the Blue Jackets 9-1. to So, 
you know, things are still looking great for this team. Um, getting goal scoring, I think, got four different players that scored on Friday night. Pasternak, Grizzlick, Jake DeBrusque, and Charlie Coyle. So, you know, the depth scoring is still there. Um, and that's great to see. Um, but really, you know, kind of shocked at the Marchand return. You know, that kind of caught me by surprise. And, you know, as interesting as he, you know, talked to the media and said, you know, this was always a target date. They kind of kept that close to the chest, which I think is pretty funny that, you know, everyone is expecting, okay, he's not going to be back until Thanksgiving, possibly even after that. And here he is, you know, days before Halloween and he's in the lineup. So he will not be playing back-to-backs, it sounds like. Um, but, you know, should be available tomorrow night when the Bruins travel to Pittsburgh to play the Penguins. Bruins actually have a pretty busy week this week. We'll talk about that in a moment. But I think just from a, a team standpoint, I think just getting someone back um, that's, you know, such a big-time player and so important for your team, you know, just gives them a an emotional lift, you know, and it's kind of unbelievable. This team is, you know, sitting at 8-1. and one. We were all concerned at the beginning of the year that, you know, okay, how bad are they going to be without Marchand McAvoy? But this team has persevered. And I think I wasn't even thinking that they were going to have all this great depth scoring. I did think that they were going to have a decent start to the season. But, you know, 8-1 and one is not anything that I had on my, on my radar. So pretty impressed with what they've done. Um, you know, the defense, I think, has been solid. It's improved after you know that Ottawa game where they gave up seven goals I think they've gotten into more of a rhythm you know they look comfortable Matt Grizzlick is back and he's putting up points so it kind of just seems unfair that this team is going to add one of the best defensemen in the league in a couple weeks you know when McAvoy comes back if that's closer to Thanksgiving or close maybe in December but <laughs> yeah I mean their team this team is playing like the best team in the league, which is just crazy to think that they're not even fully healthy. Um, two guys that have been awesome, you know, David Pasternak, I think leads the league in points, seven goals, 10 assists. He's been unbelievable, you know, and driving up the price of that contract every single day. Um, I'm not concerned, I think, about signing him. I think that it may take a little bit because there are a lot of things that I think the Bruins have to consider in re-signing him that I think, you know, the salary cap might go up next season. The Bruins are in a position where they have a lot of, you know, $25 million in cap space this summer, which sounds like a lot. But then if you consider Pasternak signing a double-digit, you know, per year deal, you know, if the Bruins are signing him to $10 million a year, 11 million a year you know that's almost half of the cap space that they have and they still have to re-sign Jeremy Swayman they still have to re-sign Pavel Zaka and it's like they have a lot of contracts that are coming off the books so you know they have a lot of things to consider when they are you know signing this deal for Pasternak which I don't think that it's going to last all season I think it might just take longer than we think but I think at the end of the day it's going to get signed I don't think that David cares about how much money he's making you know I think that clearly he is going to want something fair and I think his agent does too but I think at the same time it's probably just haggling over you know eight years how much money is going to be you know good value but also how much money is going to be should say it differently is the you know, the Bruins want to give him his value, but at the same time, they don't want to be giving him 12 or 13 million. So, you know, it cuts in half the cap space that they have next year um, because they do have a lot of guys that are coming off the books. And so, you know, the thinking is you might have to go out and sign five or six guys. And if you have $12 million to give six players, that's not enough. And so I think you know, that's one of the things that they're considering. But I think I understand where, they, where his agent's coming from, that 
you know, he wants David to be paid fairly, um, paid like one of the best players in the league, which he is. So it's going to be interesting to see. Um, but he's been playing great hockey. He's been unbelievable. Uh, Linus Allmark has been awesome out of the gate. I mean, I think he's been one of the best goalies in the league so far this season. So excellent to see him get his first shutout of the season Friday in Columbus. I don't know who gets the net tomorrow night. Really could be Allmark or Swayman, but he's been excellent. I think a big part of why the Bruins are 8-1 at this point. So he's been great. Pasternak, obviously, has been great. Uh, you know, talking about this big week that the Bruins have um, in Pittsburgh on in Pittsburgh tomorrow night. Then they are in New York to play the Rangers on Thursday night. That's an ESPN Plus game. So um, if you don't have an ESPN Plus account, you may not be able to watch this game, which is kind of too bad. But, you know, that's the way the NHL is trying to market the game, I guess. You know, you know, same way the NFL is doing it with uh, Thursday Night Football um, on Amazon. Um, but either way, Bruins in Pittsburgh Tuesday, Bruins in New York to play the Rangers Thursday, and then the Bruins are in Toronto to play the Maple Leafs on Saturday. So three games against three teams that are going to be pretty good this year. You know, Pittsburgh and Toronto are, are at 500 so far this season, but... You have a Rangers team. We know how talented they are. So these are going to be some good tests for the Bruins. And it's not to say the Bruins haven't been tested so far, but I think on the road, three Eastern Conference opponents that in all likelihood you could see in the playoffs, it's going to be a good measuring to stick to see where the Bruins are at. Um, so I'm very curious to see how they play um, against Pittsburgh and the Rangers and then Toronto, obviously. All three teams that are capable of very are capable of scoring a lot of goals. So I'm going to be curious to see how the defense lines up. You know, how does Olmark? How do how do Olmark and Swayman do against these matchups? Very curious against or how do they do in these matchups? Very curious to see how that goes. But I think with the Bruins having the eight and one record with 16 points and the way that they're banking points. You know, is huge, and I think that it doesn't it doesn't mean that oh, if the, the Bruins can lose all three of these games, you know, I think we all would like to see them win all three or maybe two. But the good thing about having all these wins already means that okay, you don't have to play at this pace the entire season. That obviously you want to be able to win games and get points every single game that you play. But I think just having the points that they have is is huge, and I think. No one expected this either. You know, I think that's what's so exciting that the Bruins were, you know, playing so well without Marchand. And then obviously he comes in, he adds to that in the Detroit game. And, you know, he'll be back this week, presumably playing in all three of these games. So it's exciting that the Bruins have, you know, banked these points and are in a position where, you know, they don't have to win every single game, you know, which is, I think, kind of was what the fear was when they open the season, okay, they're going to have to bank some points, but, you know, they're playing so well that it's kind of, you know, unbelievable that uh, we're talking about, you know, like, oh, it's okay if you lose some games here and there. Um, so kind of looking at some roster stuff, uh, clearly the Bruins with the return of Brad Marsh and uh, to the healthy roster, Bruins had a decision to make in terms of you know, how, what the roster is going to look like, um, or had to make a decision because once Marshand was available, someone had to, you know, be sent down and the Bruins, you know, rather than risking putting Jack Stadnika on waivers, the Bruins traded him, traded him to Vancouver for a goalie prospect and a defensive prospect. Um, you know, I think the thought process there was, okay, if you're putting him on waivers, chances are someone's going to claim him and you'd lose him for nothing. So the Bruins, I think, thought, okay, let's see what we can do with this asset. They send him to Vancouver, a place where he can get a good amount of ice time. You know, I think I'm happy for, for Jack that he's going to get an opportunity to play regularly. I think 
looking at this roster and looking how well everyone's played, you know, with the four centers that the Bruins have, it's hard to see Jack being able to crack that lineup and play consistently. So, you know, I think it's too bad because I think a lot of us had big visions for him as a prospect, but I think unfortunately it just has not worked out. And I think, you know, it's, it, it is what it is and it's tough. Um, but, you know, hopefully Jack can improve um, and be able to get ice time and be able to be a regular NHL player. So, you know, I think that was tough, but the Bruins getting a couple prospects. Uh, Michael DiPietro is a goaltender um, in the AHL, so I think he'll go to Providence. Not related to Rick DiPietro, the old uh, or former goaltender of the New York Islanders. Um, and then the Patriots, uh, the Bruins, also um, acquiring the rights to Jonathan Myrenberg, who is a defenseman, was a fifth-round pick in 2021, uh, is playing over in Sweden, so it seems like uh, P.J. Axelson, who is involved in the Bruins scouting, um, is familiar with this player. So that at least makes you feel good. The Bruins maybe you know, could get a, a piece or two from you know Jack Stadnika, a player who is going to go on waivers anyway. So I think that's important. But I also think looking at the roster again, you know, once McAvoy comes back, the Bruins are going to have nine defensemen. And I think... There's going to have to be a decision made about Mike Riley. Um, I think that he is. I think that he is technically in Providence, but I don't know if he's played any games. Um, so you know, I think that he is probably likely going to be the guy that's going to be on the outs when McAvoy comes back. I think it's just how it's going to be. Um, so I think you could see a similar type trade. Um, I do think, though, with the Bruins maybe getting rid of Riley, you could be able to get a couple of draft picks. I mean, maybe one, because the Bruins, you know, don't have second-round picks uh, this year or, or 2023 and 2024. So, you know, maybe they could get one of those back. Maybe they could get an extra third-round, fourth-round pick. Um, so I think that that would be... <clears throat> Interesting to see because the Bruins obviously have brought in Anton Strahlman into the fold. Um, Jakob Zaborl, I think, is getting some good playing time. And <coughs> Connor Clifton is playing probably his best hockey that he's played in his career. So I think that that leads you to believe that <coughs> Mike Riley may be expendable um, in the grand scheme of things. So... I think looking at some other roster thoughts, the Bruins brought up uh, G, uh, Jacob Lauko to play on Saturday. And he's a guy that I really like. I really like his game and how hard he plays. Um, and Anton Strahlman was able to play on Friday. You know, I'm not expecting crazy things from him, but I think he gives them a nice kind of calming presence as a third pair D or an extra D if they need it. So. I do happen to think that Mike Riley probably gets traded once McAvoy is ready to play. Um, but I don't think that happens for another couple of weeks. You know, but I think it's like the Bruins are going to have nine defensemen. And I think, you know, you want to have as many defensemen as you can get. But I also think, you know, it doesn't make sense to carry that many. And you also have some other guys in Providence that are capable of playing in the NHL. Not that they're the same player as Mike Riley, but I think dealing away Riley is not the worst thing in the world. I mean, I think, yes, he does do a great job of getting involved in the rush, moving the puck, but I think, I don't know, it's almost like you don't see him do much with the puck other than, you know, skate with it around the goal, and it's just, you want him to be able to, you know, fire the puck on net more. You know, you saw him score that goal in the preseason game, um, against the Rangers, and it's just, you want to see him doing things like that, and I think that just the nature of his game, he's kind of more of a pass-first guy, but I think the Bruins want their defensemen to be getting pucks to the net um, in addition to kind of getting up into the play, so I don't think that it's necessarily an indictment on Mike Riley as a player, 
that the Bruins are getting rid of him, but it's just, you know, at a certain point it's too crowded, and I think that Mike's a guy that doesn't want to be an extra defenseman. You know, he wants to be playing every day, and I just don't think the Bruins are going to be able to accommodate that once McAvoy comes back. Um, so I'm kind of curious to see, you know, what ends up happening with Pasternak's contract, but, you know, you look at, you look at the forwards that are signed through next, for next year. There's only five of them on the roster right now. Marchand, Hall, Coyle, DeBrusque, and A.J. Greer. Everyone else is a free agent. That includes Pasternak. So, you know, that tells you that, yes, the Bruins do have a lot of cap space, about $26 million, but if Pasternak signs for 11, 12, 12 and a half, you know, that takes away about half of it. So I think the Bruins are going to have to be careful that they're not overpaying him because they do have other guys that they're going to need to sign. You know, I think Zaka is a guy that I would like to see stick around. You know, Jeremy Swayman, clearly. Um, and Connor Clifton, based on the way that he's played this year. So, you know, there are going to be some interesting decisions. One of the things I thought about yesterday, though, is that even if the Bruins, you know, lose some of those guys on their roster that aren't signed, probably the hope is that some of those guys in Providence would be able to grab roster spots, and so you wouldn't have to go out and spend money to get reinforcements. You know, you could bring up. McLaughlin, Lysel, Johnny Beecher, um, Merkulov, you know, you could bring up some of those guys and hope that they kind of get a spot. And so that would be something that could kind of ease some of the worry about, okay, you're losing a lot of guys as their contracts are up. And so, you know, the thought is those guys could slide in because I don't think the Bruins are going to be re-signing Craig Smith or Nosek or Nick Foligno. I don't think they're going to be re-signing those guys. So, you know, Craig Smith also is another guy that I think could possibly be traded if the Bruins decide to keep to keep Mike Riley. But I guess I'd be surprised. Um, so I think that's going to do it for the Bruins. We're going to move on to talk about the Celtics. Celtics with a nice bounce-back win yesterday afternoon, evening, 6 o'clock start. At the Garden, Celtics beat the Wizards 1-12. To 94 defense was a lot better in this game. Uh, Bradley Beal was shut down in this game. Four for 16 from the field, only at 12 points. Uh, did have eight assists, but the Celtics got back to playing some really quality defense in this game. Wizards shot 39% from the field. Um, only had four players in double figures. Porzingis was the high scorer, 17 points. Did have 13 rebounds. Celtics actually were out-rebounded by four, but I think after some games that the Celtics did not really play good, you know, aggressive quality defense against the Bulls and against the uh, Cavaliers on Friday, the Celtics returned and played a really good defensive game, uh, which I think was good to see, and I think you want to be able to continue to see the focus and kind of the growth because you don't have Rob Williams, and the Celtics, I think, really have to be able to overcome that by playing smart defensively and keeping their focus and, you know, not turning the ball over. I know that's not really a defensive thing, but I think it just was important to see the Celtics get a win, play good defense, be able to shoot the ball really well as they did in the first quarter. Uh, Washington kind of came back in parts of the game, but the Celtics did a good job. Uh, Jason Tatum, really efficient in this game. Uh, 23 points, only took 15 shots. Made 5 of 10 three-pointers. Jalen Brown was really good, 24 points, 7 of 18, 4 for 9 from 3. So maybe not as efficient, but I think the two of them have been a lot more efficient at the beginning of the season than they were last season. So that was really good to see. Um, some bench guys had some good minutes. You know, Brogdon was great, probably his best game as a Celtics, or as a Celtic. Uh, 23 points off the bench, 6 for 12 from the field. Made all eight of his free throws, had three threes. Sam Hauser was off the bench, 23 minutes, had three threes, had five rebounds. And I honestly thought he played some good defense, so I think that's good to see 
that his development is starting to, or the Celtics are being rewarded for the development of Sam Hauser's game as he's just a knockdown shooter. You know, gives you exactly what I think Gallinari was going to give you. Not saying that they're the same player, but it's the same type of skill set that Hauser's a guy that he's going to knock down open threes and he's going to play, you know, somewhat decent defense. He's going to rebound a little bit. Luke Cornett got some good minutes um, on Sunday as well, 19 minutes. Grant Williams had 25 minutes off the bench um, and scored 10 points. So I think if the Celtics are getting good, solid contributions from the bench, they're going to be a really hard team to beat. And I think that was just good to see that there are certain guys that could get some minutes um, in this game, and Blake Griffin didn't even play. And so I think that tells you that maybe the Celtics are you know, going to be, that tells you the Celtics are going to be pretty deep that, you know, you can bring in Brogdon off the bench. He can score 20 points. You can bring in Hauser. He can knock down a couple threes. You know, Grant Williams can do what he does. So it's really encouraging that the Celtics can get games like that. But I think keeping that defensive focus, keeping the intensity um, is really going to be important as the Celtics have a much busier schedule uh, this coming week, we'll take a look at that in a second. But one of the things I did notice, um, not in the starting lineup, but I think during the game that the Celtics tried to go more of playing two bigs um, in the lineup. And I think it might be something that the Celtics look to do without Rob Williams because they've had a lot of issues on the uh, on the glass. You know, even though the Celtics beat the Wizards, by 18 points, the Wizards had an 11, 11 offensive rebound advantage. So they were a plus 11 in offensive rebounds. So the Celtics, I think, still need to clean that up. They still need to clean up uh, the rebounding because, you know, with how Rob Williams, you don't really have a lot of size. Um, it was interesting to me that Noah Vonley only played five minutes in that game because uh, it seems like he's been a pretty solid rebounder when he's played. You know, Cornette was in there, uh, Hauser was in there, they grabbed some rebounds, but they're going to need to be able to do that consistently if they're going to beat good teams. Washington, to me, is not really a good team. So the Celtics, you know, took 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 care of business and did what they're supposed to do. But I'm curious to see, you know, what those double big lineups look like. You know, Horford and Cornette played a good bit played a good bit yesterday at the same time. You know, Grant Williams was in there as well. So, you know, that's kind of an area where I thought Blake Griffin would be getting more minutes because he's another big and he can rebound. But, you know, it could just be kind of matchup specific. But the Celtics play the, the Cavaliers again on Wednesday. So, you know, I'm hoping that they could experiment a little bit more, get some more bigs in there, guys who can rebound, um, because it's going to be tough. You know, that's kind of been their Achilles heel so far this season. But I thought that they played better defensively uh, in yesterday's game. So the Celtics sit at 4-2, and two, looking ahead to the rest of their schedule um, for the next week. Celtics, um, obviously, as I mentioned, they will travel to Cleveland, play the Cavaliers again on Wednesday. Celtics will host the Chicago Bulls. On Friday, so that'll be a rematch. Both of those games, rematches from losses uh, last week. And then the Celtics will travel to New York to play the Knicks on Saturday night. So the Celtics have a couple days off between now and Wednesday's game. And then a back-to-back -back Chicago and New York. Then things get really busy next week as the Celtics have four games. Next week, obviously, we will cover that next week. Um, you know, I mentioned Sam Hauser and just <laughs> how great it is to have someone off the bench that can knock down threes and knock them down at a consistent rate. And I think the bench is really, I think, where the Celtics are going to be marketably better than they were last season, that they have Brogdon, they have Hauser, you know, they have Grant Williams, you know, Peyton Pritchard, I know he's not played a lot of minutes, but he's capable of knocking down shots. Um, and Blake Griffin, I think, is capable of being a somewhat decent reserve. And I think you add Rob Williams to this team, a healthy Rob Williams, you know, now we're talking about a team that 
legitimately can get back to the NBA Finals and win. But unfortunately, I think a lot of it depends on Rob's health. You know, if he is healthy and playing the way that we know he can, there's no limit to what this team can do. But if he's not healthy, you're going to see some games like you saw last Monday against Chicago where Vucevic grabs 23 rebounds. You're going to see a game like last night, you know, Porzingis grabs 14 rebounds. So hopefully the Celtics can get him back. It was good to see him back um, on the bench the last two games. So that's at least good that he's been around the team um, and pumping guys up. So that's super exciting. So I think that that's going to do it for uh, the Boston teams. You know, really not a lot of Red Sox news you know, other than the rumors of a Red Sox executive going to visit Rafael Devers in the Dominican Republic, I believe. But I don't know if that was contract-related, but clearly maybe you start hearing about uh, him and Bogarts in the next couple weeks as the World Series is starting to uh, kick up. So before we get to the World Series, we're going to get to some NFL Week 8. Thursday night started, or Thursday night started Week 8 with the Ravens beating the Buccaneers 27-22. So Tom Brady and the Bucks 3-5. Tom Brady 3-5, I think, for the first time in his career this late in the season. So uh, Ravens get the win on the road 27-22. Uh, Lamar Jackson had a good game in this one, but um, Tampa Bay just really struggling for offense this at this point in the season. The Broncos and the Jags played in London yesterday morning. The Broncos with a 21-17 win as they got a late touchdown and a late interception to get their third win of the season. The Jags dropped to two and six. The Falcons with an overtime win over the Panthers, 37-34. The Falcons, believe it or not, are in first place in the NFC South. So a pretty remarkable win for them. The Panthers uh, were able to tie the game on a Hail Mary, and then uh, DJ Moore, I guess, took his helmet off after scoring the tying touchdown, pushed the field, pushed pushed the extra point back 15 yards. They missed the extra point, Um, and then the Falcons win in overtime, so that was kind of a crazy scene down there in Atlanta, but the Falcons are are 4-4, 3-1 at home. The Cowboys run all over the Bears, 49-29, Tony Pollard with the start as Ezekiel Elliott was out with a knee injury. Pollard had 131 yards and three touchdowns. Dak Prescott, 250 yards and two touch, two touchdowns through the air. And the Cowboys dominate the Bears, 49-29. A lot of points scored this week in the NFL. The uh, Dolphins beating the Lions with a late touchdown. Um, or I'm sorry, no, this was a different game. Dolphins beat the Lions, though, 31-27. Got a couple touchdowns in the third quarter to pull ahead. Lions fall to one and six. Dolphins are five and three. They've won back-to-back games. Tua with 382 yards and three passing touchdowns. Two of them to Jalen Waddle. The Vikings outlast the Cardinals, 34-26. The Vikings improved to six and one. Um, Cardinals fall to three and five with the loss. Kyler Murray, 326 yards and three touchdowns, including one of them to DeAndre Hopkins in the loss. The Saints shut out the Raiders 24-0. Alvin Kamara with three touchdowns, two of them receiving, one of them rushing, and the Raiders are uh, a mess. 0-4 away from home. They are 2-5 overall. Saints improved to 3-5 with the win. Uh, the Eagles stay undefeated with uh, Jalen Hurts, A.J. Brown uh, special. as <laughs> A.J. Brown had three touchdowns in the first half. Jalen Hurts Four touchdowns overall. Eagles beat the Steelers 35-13. The Titans outlast the Texans 17-10. Derrick Henry, 219 yards and two touchdowns. The Titans are a surprising 5-2. I didn't know that they were 5-2 until I looked at their record. Um, The Commanders beat the Colts 17-16 as they hang on. Taylor Heineke with a game-winning rushing touchdown with about 22 seconds left, so the Commanders improved their record to 4-4. Four and four. Colts fall to 3-4-1. and one. I, for some reason, thought the Colts had a bye this week, but I was wrong. Uh, but they lose to the Commanders. 17-16 at home. 
49ers beat the Rams. Christian McCaffrey with three total touchdowns after the uh, trade to the 49ers last week. He did play in the last week's game, uh, but he was heavily involved as the 49ers beat the Rams 31-14. The Giants uh, losing their second game of the year. Seahawks with a win at, win at home. They improved to 5-3, 27-13 the final. And then last night, the Bills beating the Packers on Sunday Night Football 27-17. And then tonight on Halloween, ESPN Monday Night Football, the Bengals traveling to Cleveland to take on the Browns. Bengals 4-3, Browns 2-5. So I think next week we will start uh, looking at the NFL standings and seeing how things stand about halfway through the season. Um, so I think we're going to move on and talk a little bit about the uh, aforementioned World Series. Astros and Phillies game three is tonight. The Phillies and Astros split the first two games. Philadelphia with a huge comeback win in game one, six to five in 10 innings. They were down five nothing in this game. JT Real Muto hitting a go-ahead home run in the 10th inning. Phillies win six five. And then Houston comes back with a 5-2 win on Saturday night. Framber Valdez with a good pitching performance. Zach Wheeler was knocked around early as the Astros win 5-2. But obviously, series shifting to Philadelphia. Game 3 tonight at 8.03. Lance McCullers versus Noah Syndergaard. So it's definitely going to be a, a raucous environment in Philadelphia. You know, I think... Houston, I think, really blowing a huge chance to take control of the series as they lost that first game. I think any time a road team can split the first two games of a series, it's massive. And I think I'm very curious to see how this game goes tonight because I think, you know, Philadelphia, the home crowd, but Houston is a very good team, you know, and I think coming off of their first loss of the postseason, I think they're not going to want to make that become a streak. Uh, but Philadelphia, they're dangerous with what they can do with their bats. You know, I think both of those lineups are equally dangerous. You know, Houston's pitching, I think I have a little more faith in. But, you know, it's Philadelphia. It's crazy. You know, this is a team that no one expected to be in this position. And to me, in the baseball postseason, that's always dangerous when you have a team that, you know, comes in playing with nothing to lose. And that's what the Phillies have done the entire postseason. Um, and they've ripped through the postseason, which is kind of kind of incredible if you think about it. You know, three games to one over Atlanta, four games to one over San Diego. And then they won, you know, both of the wild card games against the Cardinals. And here they are, game three, with a chance to, you know, take the lead again in the World Series. So World Series, I believe, is now uh, a 2-3-2. So the next three games will be in Philadelphia tonight, Tuesday night, and then Wednesday night. So three days in a row of the World Series. So looking forward to game three tonight, Houston and Philly 803 start on Fox. So I think I'm going to move on to talking about the NBA. Get some uh, notes for you. The Lakers finally getting their first win of the season. Uh, after losing their first four, they beat the Nuggets yesterday, 121-110. Um, Zion Williamson returning from injury with a double-double as the Pelicans beat the Clippers. Uh, Bogdanovich and the Pistons agreeing to a two-year extension after he was traded from the Jazz. And uh, just taking a look at some games tonight on the NBA schedule, there are quite a few games 7 o'clock, uh, the Kings and the Hornets, if, uh, Sixers and the Wizards. Then at 7.30, the Pelicans, excuse me, the Pacers play the Nets. The Hawks play the uh, Raptors, both of those games at 7.30. And then 8 o'clock, the um, Pistons go up against the Bucks, who still have not lost a game this year. They are 5-0. and And then at 9 o'clock, Grizzlies and the Jazz. And then at 10.30, the Rockets and the Clippers. So I think I'm going to move on to the NHL, just give you guys some notes. The Anaheim Ducks ending their seven-game losing streak with an OT win over the Maple Leafs last night. 
Jack Eichel scored the game-winning goal for Vegas. Um, as they improved to 8-2, and two, they are tied with the Bruins for the most points in the league. So yeah, go figure with that. Bruce Cassidy coach team is doing really well out of the gate, but uh, the Bruins are doing well too. So um, Devin Dubnik announcing his retirement from the NHL after 12 years. He was a goaltender, played uh, some played games for the Wild primarily and the Oilers as well. Um, so he retires as he won the Masterton Trophy in 2014-15. So he uh, played, last played, last season played 22 games for the Sharks and the Avalanche. So, taking a look at some games on the schedule tonight, there are three Detroit and Buffalo play at seven, Washington and Carolina play at seven, and then the Kings and St. Louis play at eight o'clock. So, just taking a quick look at the standings, Bruins are obviously atop the Atlantic with uh, 16 points. So they've had a really good start to their season. You know, clearly eight and one. Uh, the Devils have started really well. They're six and three. They're tied atop the Metropolitan with the Rangers. The Flyers have started the season very well, five two and one, um, in their first eight. They have eleven points. Um, Carolina started the season well. Detroit has started the season well. Um, and Montreal, after being in the basement last season, they're off to a decent start, five and four in their first nine games. And then Columbus off to a very poor start, three and seven. Bruins beat them Friday night, four to nothing. In the West, in the Central, Dallas and Winnipeg have had good starts to the season. They're both five, three, and one. Chicago's in third place. They have 10 points. Um, and then Vegas, obviously off to a good start. Edmonton as well. They're six and three. The Seattle Kraken have 10 points in their first 10 games. They're four, four, and two is their plan. Somewhat decent hockey, you know, a lot better than they started the year last year. Um, Anaheim and San Jose have had a tough go of it out of the gate. Uh, Colorado has also been a little bit slow to start. They are 4-4-1 through their first nine games. So to close out, I think I'm going to give you guys just an update on the uh, college football rankings this week. There definitely were some changes, and that... Uh, will reflect in the rankings. So kind of the big news with this poll, Tennessee jumping up to number two uh, with Ohio State. So it's actually a tie at number two. So both of those teams are number two. Georgia's still at number one. Um, and then the rest of the top eight stayed the same uh, with Oregon at number eight, TCU at seven, Alabama six, Clemson five, Michigan four, and then obviously Ohio State and Tennessee at two, and then Georgia at one. Um, some risers this week. Ole Miss jumped up to number 11. Kansas State jumped up to 13. Kansas State beating uh, Oklahoma State soundly. Um, and then take a look at some teams that are in the top 25 for the first time this season. Liberty uh, 23, Oregon State at 24, and then UCF at 25 after they beat Cincinnati. So Oklahoma State obviously dropping with a big loss to Kansas State. Wake Forest dropping all the way down to number 20 after they were blown out by Louisville. Taking a look at some games this week in early window. Actually, no ranked games in the early window at noon, but then at 3.30, it's going to be probably the game of the year to this point. Number one, Georgia. Number two, Tennessee. That game is in Georgia. That's going to be a great game. Tennessee jumping up to number two after the win over Kentucky last week. So it's going to be a great game. I think it's going to be a game of the year. You know, Hendon Hooker and Tennessee, how good their offense has been. Um, but Georgia, you know, they got a great defense. They got a great group of offensive skill players. So I think expect this to be uh, one of the best games of the college football season that is a 3.30 start on CBS Saturday. Both teams coming in 8-0. and And then later, there's another pretty big game. 6th-ranked Alabama, 15th-ranked LSU, 
um, at or in Baton Rouge, seven Baton Rouge, seven o'clock on ESPN. So that will be a pretty good game. Um, I also think uh, just looking at some other games later, twentieth ranked Wake Forest, twenty first ranked NC State. That's an eight o'clock game on the ACC network, and then. I do happen to think that Clemson-Notre Dame is going to be a good game. Clemson traveling to Notre Dame, Notre Dame 5-3. Clemson, 5th in the country, 8-0. I also think Texas traveling to 13th ranked Kansas State might also be a pretty good game as well. So I think I think that's probably going to do it for, for me this week. Uh, again, happy Halloween, everyone, and enjoy the rest of your day. Enjoy the rest of your week. Um, and looking forward to uh, Guest Friday. We'll be talking all about the Bruins and their hot start. And hopefully that hot start continues uh, when Guest Friday goes up on Friday. All right, everyone, have a great uh, rest of your day and rest of your week. And we'll talk to you on Friday.